And if my connection for some reason drops out, I'll be right back. Um, I actually am on top of a mountain with little to no connection to internet service. So it's a lot of fun. Um, so tonight we have Craig Ford, who is an author and a cybersecurity expert and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I can't Craig wait to- does so many things. Right, right. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing from, uh, from Craig. Um, to get started, I don't have a whole lot uh, of news this week, other than the fact that I um, had a conversation with Range Force. Range Force is going to provide the um, cyber range for what will soon be an esports league for hackers. Um, the idea was kind of born, I guess it was like a year ago when I was in uh, the UK and thought about having like an esports league like the gamers have. Um, you know, they make a lot of money, they get sponsorships, they have teams, and it's a lot of fun for everybody. Um, this way, you know, we can get people jumpstarted into careers and, you know, the people with really good defense and red teaming skills will shine and kind of stick out and it'd be a good place for recruiting and, and moving into the industry. Um, other than that, no changes on the political front. Uh, yeah, the U.S. is still a mess. Um, big surprise there. Uh, our president seems to uh, stumble and trip upstairs, which is unique. I've never seen a president do that before. Um, but I guess that's a superpower I don't possess. Um, anyways, so let's get started. Craig, it's awesome to have you on. I'm so glad you were able to make it. Sorry for the late start. Um, I guess the uh, time change kind of messing people up. So I'm sure we'll have some stragglers. So why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. Um, thanks for inviting me anyway. It's, a, it's definitely a pleasure to talk to you guys. And um, so just about me in general, um, cybersecurity architect um, by day, um, cybersecurity now a fantasy author outside of that. Um, been in sort of a IT kind of a role back in early 2000s, somewhere like that, and made my way slowly towards cybersecurity. When I sort of got that bug around, I think it was around 2013, I started pushing that cybersecurity direction. And um, yeah, pretty much loved it ever since and been pushing that way the whole time. Yeah, it's a great industry. I think we have some problems, but uh, every industry does, I think. But yeah, it's definitely good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I did a little bit of uh, digging into your series of books. Um, tell us a little bit about your books and, and, and what your goal is with those, uh, with those two books you have. Um, so the first two books, uh, basically, it's a Hacker IM series. Um, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek name. Same with the, if you have a look at the, the cover itself, it's a bit of a, I've always had a bit of an issue with the media's depiction of hackers and, you know, always the bad guys and that sort of thing. So that was kind of part of the cover idea and the, the name itself to have a bit of a tongue-in-cheek poke at that. Um, but the idea with the books was when I was sort of trying to get into security, no one was really talking about it. No one was really sharing any of the information and that sort of stuff and making it easy for outsiders to understand a little bit about it and for people wanting to come into the industry. So I kind of wrote the series in as non-technical way as you could probably do it um, and tried to make it so it was something that everyone would enjoy. I used sort of stories and, you know, I think there's about 50 chapters in each of the books of different topics across the cybersecurity um, from your IoT to your 
autonomous vehicles, you name it, I've pretty much tried to do a as non-technical coverage as possible. And I, I like to use sort of your yeah, random stories. I go down a bit of a rabbit hole and try and make a journey out of it so you can have a bit of fun and learn at the same time. What's well, your favourite uh, chapter? What was that, sorry? Uh, what's one? Of, what's some of your favorite? Uh, what's one of your favorite chapters in in your book? I think my favorite one is the one that I named the book after, "The Hacker I Am." I I have a bit of a sort of a storytelling of what it would be like for a hacker to be, you know, trying to break into a system and that sort of stuff, and sort of make it a fun journey and do that poker fun at the the media depiction. Sort of saying it's just normal guy and ends up being just a security guy just trying to protect a system. But yeah, it's yeah, that's probably my favorite out of all of them. And I've I've got a few. I think there was a um, an assassination story that I said for someone with a medical IoT device. I had a bit of a bit of a story with that, a bit of a short story. It was yeah, I had a bit of fun in quite a few of them. It's definitely different when you're talking about a cybersecurity book. It's not your normal style. And the other weird thing is you can actually literally pick up the book and choose any chapter you want. You don't have to read it in order. Just pick a topic you like the idea of and just read that. That's awesome. So what drove you to, uh, to write a book? I've, I've been toying with the idea, but writing a book is so intimidating, I daunting. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. daunting and, and, and intimidating. And I'm afraid if, if, if I start that, I'm just going to get lost in the process. So tell me what went through your head when, when you were deciding to or not to write a book and, and what it was like going through the process. I think with the deciding the book part was a little bit easier because I'd already been doing some cybersecurity journalist stuff, like writing sort of similar content Mm -hmm. um, for CSO for a little while. And a few of my colleagues said, look, we really like your stuff. You should make a book in the same sort of style of writing. And I'm like, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago if I was ever going to write articles or books or anything, I would have just laughed at you and said, that's not going to happen. Exactly. But yeah, that people were enjoying it. And I thought that's my way of sort of sharing it. But I think the easiest way with the book was I took it in small pieces. I just went, I'm just going to write the chapter at a time, go through it piece by piece, and then just, yeah, just put it together slowly like that. And I think my book made it a little bit easier because it is individual topics, so it wasn't one big component. Um, my new book, the, the Fantasy, is a little bit different because it is one full story, which was oh, nice. a bit more challenging to do. But, nice. um, but yeah, the, the, the two cybersecurity awareness sort of style ones that yeah were much easier with those individual little chapters you just chunk by chunk yeah. and it wasn't too scary that way but I think probably me the scariest part was whether people would actually want to read it once mm-hmm. I wrote it I was like sitting there going oh am I putting this all together is it all this hard work and no one's even going to want to read it but uh turns out it was people like it so that's good <laughs> it's pretty awesome yeah I saw it on uh, on Amazon um actually selling for like 30 30 US dollars on Amazon uh, book one is um, so yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to, to take that experience and, and the knowledge you've gained inside of cybersecurity and kind of give it back in that way. Um, and the storytelling part of it is really cool, right? So a lot of the tech and, and you know, the hacking books and, and stuff like that, it, it's all very technical. It's all very black and white and it's all very ones and zeros. So you, you can't really read it from cover to cover, which I think kind of does a disservice to both the author and the, the crowd that it generates uh, attraction to. But with the story approach, um, I think Kevin Mitnick had a, had a book, something similar where um, he told stories about uh, stuff that happened, you know, ghost on the wire and, and kind of put into a story perspective. And I find that 
that more approachable and digestible than than these big penguin uh, published thick manuals that you know take six months to even get through. Um, so that's really refreshing. I think it's really cool. Did you go through a publisher to to do it? Or did you publish it yourself? I had a bit of a like a chat to do with a, a few of the normal sort of publishing houses, but I ended up going the the sort of indie publishing, the, the self-publishing route, only for the fact that they wanted to try and change that path that I wanted to go down. Oh yeah. And it sort of I didn't really like that idea. I wanted to just stick to that general idea and do it as the way I wanted to do it with those sort of stories. They wanted to make it one long book and like you said i think they're a bit dry and a bit hard to get through sometimes those sort of books and yeah, yeah i wanted to make it a bit more fun a bit more easy so yeah i i did the self-publishing yeah are you going to do you have any plans on on writing a book about maybe cyber law or even like a children's book um strictly for children about like internet safety or, or stuff like that is that crossed your mind about the series of books or what your thoughts it's not something I've thought of. I, I've I've seen a few of the um, like sort of your children books. One, I think they're great, um, mm. and I, I definitely think it's a good idea. It's probably not my style of thing, but yeah, I definitely yeah I wouldn't say no if that was something that that sort of went down that path. But yeah, definitely not a consideration. I've had the the more serious like your cyber law stuff. Probably yeah. not my cup of tea for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a bit more of a I don't know. Have like to have a bit more fun with it than I think they'd be a bit too dry for my liking, but um, yeah, yeah you, you never know. Yeah, I think one of the one of the dilemmas that I'm trying to to solve the equation I'm trying to solve is the fact that um, especially in the UK and other countries, uh, the kids aren't really getting instruction on um, what the law really is, what's legal, what's illegal. Um, and I was, you know, just looking at the way that you wrote the book and the stories and stuff, I thought you know, it might be a good uh, vehicle to get the CMA and, and other laws like that broken down into a digestible format for the kids to read. And, and those events will stick out in their head more than a teacher telling them about CMA or, or, you know, what's illegal or illegal. So I think it's really cool. I've seen a lot of guys going to um, being an author from cybersecurity. Uh, a buddy of mine named Robert Hansen did a, a few books. Um, I'm sure Chris Roberts has his hands in quite a few. Um, so I, I think it's a really cool way to give back. Uh, I haven't gone that route yet. Um, I'm still kind of debating on if that's something I'm going to do, but I find it really intriguing. I find that, you know, working on something like that, it seems to be really neat and really cool. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I know there's got to be a monotonous mundane, you know, grueling part of it somewhere hidden, you know, hidden beneath all the leaves somewhere. Um, so anyways, what, what brought you into cybersecurity? So tell us about your journey from like school, school age into the industry, you know, what other occupations you, did you toss around going into and, and kind of what was a, the mindset of going into something IT or, or cyber? I think, um, sort of what I was originally tossing up, I wanted to either be a, a chef or a mechanic. It's a, it's a bit of a weird combination, but, um, I sort of love the cooking doing that sort of stuff mm -hmm. um the only thing i didn't like was the the working when everyone else is having a good time that that didn't seem great to me when i was you know 18 19 so um and the mechanic side of things my father was a mechanic so he basically warned me off it although i like cars he said all you'll do is spend the rest of your life with skin off your knuckles so he <laughs> said uh, try and find something else to do <laughs> and um to be honest the the it technical side of thing i just sort of fell in it i was just 
always a bit of a natural, always a tinker with the electronic stuff and mm. always love anything electronic. So yeah, it was just a bit of a natural, an opportunity come up and I just took it and yeah, never stopped basically. Well, it's, so it's, back in, I think it was around 2000 or 2001 or something I started out and it's, yeah, seems like a long time ago now, but yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes sense though, um, to go from wanting to be a mechanic to wanting to be an IT. I mean, basically we're doing the same thing just without all the oil and, and grunge and stuff like that. Although, Much, the, yeah. although the fan dust from the motherboard can get uh, pretty bad on allergies sometimes. So, um, so yeah, other than that, like, do you involve yourself with any like capture flags or any kind of like um, online gaming or, you know, what, what's your personal life look like? What, what's your passion other than, you know, writing and, and doing what you do career wise? A um, bit of a, a movie buff. I don't get into um, too much of your, like your capture your flag sort of stuff. I, I generally, apart from the writing, I stick away from the, the computers. I think, I think uh, work stuff during the day, you kind of just leave it over it, not going near any of that, but, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, Joe movie, bit of a movie fan. I love the sort of your, your sci-fi or your, or your actiony kind of stuff. Cool. Did you watch the latest, um, justice league? I haven't yet, but I, um, but I want to, I, I reckon it's going to be pretty cool. Mandalorian, I think that's about as uh, oh, sci-fi series and tech as I get as a Mandalorian. It's on but, my list. I haven't started it yet, but it's on oh, my list. Yeah, yeah, you definitely want to put that on the top of your list and make sure you watch uh, the second season because, yeah, it's fantastic. It gets better. Yeah, okay. over there. Um, so yeah, tell us what like your your position you're in at work and and kind of your day to day routine, if you will, uh, for people who might not know what that position entails and, and looking at different uh, opportunities within the cyber community. Um, kind of give us a rundown of what your day looks like and, um, you know, the type of duties you may may carry out. I think um, it's a bit of a, I suppose you would say a jack of all trades kind of security position. I do a little bit from your, just your consulting stuff with sort of clients and advising them and discussing what they've got and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a bit of incident response and these days a a lot of paperwork. I don't know if it's, they've seen my writing and think I'm really good at the writing stuff (laughs) these days. So it's a bit of the mundane side. I do a lot of um, like procedures and that sort of stuff. Right. Um, But somebody's got to do them. So it might as well be me, I guess. Um, But yeah, generally sort of every day kind of sort of thing is mostly your, your, your consulting. I do a, probably three or four on-site consulting stuff a week at least in most times and your your sort of your your basic instant response um, which is not as exciting as it sounds most of the time a lot of it's just log reviews and event reviews but uh, yeah it sounds pretty exciting but it's not really most of the time right what are some of the pain points Um, what are some of like the pain points that you run across when you're dealing with all these different customers in the industry what are what are they struggling with when it comes to cybersecurity? I think from the conversations I have, most of them, it's the biggest issues is probably understanding and, and knowing what they can do. And because I deal a lot with that sort of in my sort of past up until now, sort of that small to medium enterprise sort of size. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them just don't understand exactly what they can do. And, and, and a lot of the time, it's just little things they can do to just improve things like with your, your multi-factor authentication, just awareness with their staff talking about it more and and making it a bit more of an open culture in a lot of those places where you know if you click on something you shouldn't do or you open something you shouldn't do just go talk about it and don't be too concerned about having those discussions with your 
like with your your organization or your managers and stuff i think the culture is probably a a definite pain point i think they have and that people are working on it and i think it's getting better but yeah it i think people focus a lot of the time a little bit too much on the flashy technology and don't focus on that sort of basic stuff and their stuff and yeah i think things would be a lot easier if they just go back to that sort of basic level that's so yeah. interesting that you say that because i've heard it so many times when you know i talk to different customers it's everyone's talking about the latest technology the latest jargon and acronyms um but surprisingly what i hear from a lot of security professionals is that it's always it's always about the basics mm-hmm. um so it's it's so interesting that so many companies are struggling with just the foundation right yeah i think so um, and I, I think that's probably i don't know if it's the marketing or the media from the big vendors and stuff like that they're pushing you need these big silver bullet solutions which we all know there is no silver bullet but um but yeah i think if we try and change that conversation as much as we can and make it more about those basics i think everyone's going to be more secure and it's the whole our lives will be easier too i think but yeah. um yeah it's, it's a bit of a challenge but i think yeah we'll get there eventually yeah that's the hardest part i think is the basics um, that and for companies to actually like develop some sort of people skills because they're so used to treating people like employees and not like people and not creating like that, that next level interaction or uh, relationship with their, with their people, you know, it can, can drag a whole unit down. I remember uh, working in uh, security and oil and gas and, you know, walking into a, a different group or, or a different part of the cubicle farm and the looks on people's faces when they see you coming, it's like, it's like the Imperial Death March on Star Wars. You know, you, you can hear it in the background and people are starting to run different directions um, because they, they never want to talk to security. You know, when security comes, it means more work or you've done something wrong. Um, but I think part of it, like you said, is a culture. And when I started with the last company I was with, um, I would go in, you know, talk to everybody in every group every morning, just say hello and, and kind of create that, that bridge. Um, but yeah, you're right. When you walk into companies, you can definitely tell the delineation between IT and security. Um, and it, it doesn't, doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to stop as long as I've been in the industry and it's been a really long time. Um, but yeah, like, I think there's a lot of negative connotation that goes along with security and some of the operations that we do to help keep, keep people safe. Like, the phishing campaigns. Um, I actually had a uh, boss that wanted to buy one of those Billy Bass, the, the singing fish that they have like at Walmart or whatever. I wanted to buy one of those. And when people failed the phishing uh, campaigns, put those on their desk. And I thought, how rude, you know, like what is that accomplishing, you know, other than telling all their peers that they completely failed the, the phishing campaign. Um, so I try to look at it from a, from a positive standpoint and, and instead of highlighting numbers, maybe highlight the complexity of, of the test and, and stuff like that, because common sense says that people are going to be the weakest link, no matter what phishing campaigns, we, we know that at least 75% of the people are going to fail. Um, that, that's just over the years, I've never seen anything below 75%. So <laughs> that's pretty bad. Um, so when you're giving like consultation and, and advice on architecture, security architecture. How many times have you been asked about AI or ML in the past year? Because I know that for me, when I hear artificial intelligence and machine learning, it really just 
makes me cringe. It gives me that tingle down my spine. I just, I don't even want to be involved in a conversation um, because I think a lot of our industry has been kind of poisoned by the idea of relying on artificial intelligence or um, machine learning. So what, what's your, what's your thought on that as far as our AI and ML go? It is definitely the, uh, the new buzz thing, isn't it? Like everyone's talking about it. That's what everyone wants. And yeah. I'm with you. I kind of, it, yes, it, Maybe long term, once it gets a little bit better, it might help us. But I think it's um, yeah, they they need to stop trying to go down that uh, the river of the AI and ML and sort of like we said before, that just focus on the basics. Stop trying to follow these fancy little buzzwords that everyone's trying to sell them at the time, and yeah, yeah. do the real things that they need to do. And yeah, but yeah, it irks me a little bit the same. Like yeah, it's the conversation everyone wants it. Everyone thinks that's their cure and their solution. But I think yeah maybe yeah. long-term it might be a good component to have part of, but yeah, definitely not the silver bullet that's going to save them all that they think it is. But yeah, yeah I think, um, and <laughs> to technically speaking, the AI is not real AI anyway. It's all pretty yeah. much machine learning anyway. So, exactly. um, but yeah, they, that's a generic other stereotype conversation that they all sort of been sold on. So, um, yeah. but yeah, definitely well, not a thing that I love so much, but yeah. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's an irk. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't even know what, what hides behind the AI engines most of the time. And, and really that's Bayes algorithm and Bayes algorithm is based on, you know, behavior and predictive behavior and predictive analysis. But the, the whole downfall, and I try to explain this to people is when you're taking a, a gauge on predictable behavior and past historical behavior, if the network is already hosed, guess what you have? You have a host AI engine because all it's doing is looking at the previous traffic going, oh, that looks great. You know, it's here before, so it must be acceptable. So I think that's the number one issue with AI. I can see AI um, becoming more acceptable and, and maybe more advanced and actually doing AI functions if people rip out their entire network and start out with AI or machine learning um, from the ground up. Uh, but yeah, the, with the current you know, status of, of how people are trying to roll out AI. They're just rolling it out on top of, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. It's still, it's still a pig. It just has a flashy interface on it. So, you know, people in AI. I like spend, that. That's a good statement. <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, people spend tons of money on these AI platforms and really just, you know, once it rains and all the lipstick is washed away, you're still left with a pig. So, Anyways, um, what do you see from your point of view? What do you see as being the biggest challenge for 2021 uh, post-pandemic? I think post-pandemic, I think we, we, we'll be cleaning up all of those rush implementations of getting everyone working from home. I think that's probably going to be a hangover we're going to have for at least 12 months, maybe longer. Um, you know, with the organisations I've been involved with, they're, they're like starting to get them to go back and clean up some of those configurations and tidy things up. But I think, yeah, that's definitely going to be a huge hangover for a while. And I think we're just kind of going to have to dig in and clean up what we can and fix what we can and make adaptions for what we can't fix that have been put in wrong and yeah, just do our best, I guess. But yeah, definitely a horrible hangover for at least 12 months, I think. Exactly. And one of the things that, that attracted me to your profile, and I've been watching your profile for, for quite a while um, before I actually come on to the show, um, you're one of the few guys, one of the few experts that I see in their profile that notates the fact that they look at things from an optimistic viewpoint. 
Um, and that is not always a case in our industry, especially in security. It seems to be a lot of people like me who are look at the pessimistic side because I guess we're, we've been in too long um, or other people who look at the doom and gloom because that produces revenue, right? Uh, but yeah, I really respect that. When I read that on your profile, I thought, you know, first of all, that's, that's bold. You know, I, I can definitely respect that. And then secondly, like it's the right attitude to have, because if you walk into a, a building or a company with the idea of helping them out and you see the mess that they've created, sometimes it's hard to stay positive, but the fact that you look at things, everything from a positive aspect, like I want to model myself after that because I fail at that so bad sometimes. What about you, Trammy? Uh, I, I I always try to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, like, it, take, it takes a lot to ruin my day. <laughs> Trammy always has a smile on her face. I, on the other hand, take things a little bit too personal and, and I get stressed out over, over ridiculous stuff. But I've seen it a million times on, in the industry and it's like, you know, after a while it gets frustrating. It's like, why can't we work as an industry and like really kill these these issues? Um but yeah, I mean, when you get people that are that are in it for money and not for the passion, you're going to have those problems. So yeah, we- I, I usually find that like when people are, are stressed out or is, is when like, you know, like I kick in and I'm the cheerleader comes out and I'm, I'm just like, all right, guys, we can do this teamwork. Um, but, you know, usually when when everyone's fine is when I start falling apart. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's your break. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that those things happen, especially our, in our industry. And it's pretty common. Um, so where do you see yourself, Craig, in let's say five years from now? Do you, do you see yourself continue to be an author and maybe, you know, expanding on that and, and maybe trying to hit some like really thick novels, you know, big, big projects? Or is that something that, you know, you're going to keep the rate you're going and, and just kind of throw that into your whole huge portfolio of stuff you do. I think probably five years time. I think uh, it's, I definitely think I still will keep writing. It's probably always going to be my, my bit of a side project um, unless something crazy happens and people love it and I don't need to do the other stuff anymore, but I, I still really enjoy the security side of things. So I think it, it's going to always be a big part of it unless I don't have time to do it anymore. But at this stage, I think, yeah, definitely security and probably more blue team instead of the red team. Like I've sort of sat in before now, I, I am enjoying the challenge of being on the inside and sort of trying to help fix those sort of problems instead of, you know, trying to break them. Um, but I think it's a bit of a switch of the sides and I, I quite enjoy that. But um, so probably somewhere on the blue team, I'm not entirely sure exactly where that will be at this stage, but yeah, definitely blue team side, I think. But um, with the writing wise, I've sort of doubled down a bit. I'm doing some more um, like sort of standard column. I'm doing one with the, the women in security magazine. I've, I'm contributing to that um, cool. on their bi-monthly sort of magazine and books wise. I think the hacker I am as long as I can think of topics, I think I'm going to keep, putting them together and I think there'll be more of them coming out if you're volume three up to whatever end that ends up being. Um, I, I like the naming convention because it's volume two, volume three, it just keeps going nice and easy. Yeah. I don't have to keep perfect. picking the names. So it's perfect for me. <laughs> um, but the current book I'm working on now, which is actually a, a hacker fantasy or a cyberpunk, I think is the official term they use for them is, yeah. is probably a new bit of a 
line I'm sort of going down. I always sort of since I started doing the writing and the first book was a little bit of excess, I, I liked the idea of doing a novel and I thought, why not just give it a go, see how it goes. So I'm actually just putting finishing touches on it. It should be out next month, fingers Very crossed. Cool. Very cool. Um, but yeah, it's the writing challenge for that though, I, I, I definitely have to say was much harder. I, I found it a lot more of a challenge to try and put that full one story together. But yeah, I, I think writing is going to be something I'm going to stick with for a little while. And what was yeah, that? I'm quite enjoying it. What was the inspiration for your uh, female character lead? Um, it was probably probably a little bit my involvement with the, the Women in Security magazine. And I just think that having a female lead will encourage that sort of people to think outside the box and think, you know, this is normal, you know, like the same as the depiction of the, the hacker and the hoodie. I love your logo, by the way. I think that's cool. But um, I generally have a dig at that whole media perception. Yeah. And I wanted to make the whole story behind the character and say, look, what you think is a hacker and what you think is what they should look like and who they are is completely wrong and yeah. get people to think outside that box. And hopefully it works and hopefully people enjoy the story. It's, it was a little bit of a challenge to try and put myself as a guy in a female character. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Um, That's why it's cool, I was... It's different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any... Um, any, any friends in security that are women that you kind of talk to just to kind of as you develop the this character? Yes, definitely. Um, quite a few um, colleagues and stuff that I talk to all the time and sort of try and, because as a security person myself, I like to try and see everyone else's perspectives, um, male, female, different cultures and backgrounds. I think that's security-wise, I think that's our best path forward to mm. figure out the problems and do that sort of right path forward. So yeah, it's I, I have a chat to pretty much everybody trying to get their sort of mind and what they're thinking of and and how they see things and yeah, it's a challenge sometimes to get that mindset and I think sometimes I I push the edge of whether I <laughs> what, get it right or not. But we'll what see. do you what do you do to get in that mindset? You know, like I, I can just picture you like putting on a wig and a robe and like <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> nothing as weird as that. No, no, I just um to be honest, I, I most of the time I don't even think about it. I just write with the idea of the hacker part, not the male female character. And then as I go back with the, I'm doing the editing part now, I'm like putting some touches to make it more feminine, not just the, the male orientated view. So it, that's right. the, the harder part going back and making sure it's not too guy sounding, I guess you would say, but yeah, yeah. I think I've got it right, but we'll see. <laughs> that's really nice. cool. That's I'm really, really excited cool. for it. Yeah, I think uh, being an author, I have a lot of respect for people who can write. Like I've written like little articles here and there, but the whole idea of a book, like I, I put people that write books like on a completely different level. Yeah. Because um, for me to keep a thought going on the same train track for for that long would take some real discipline and, and some real challenge. work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned something about the media and, and, and the media's view of, of hackers, which so on social media, especially LinkedIn, I've been friends with, with Chris Roberts for ages. He was one of the, the first oh, people Chris, that he's, cool. yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. He's great people. Yeah. He's one of the first people I shared a stage with. Um, he came to Charlotte, North Carolina to speak to bank of America about future vulnerabilities and trends. Um, this was post, uh, I think airplane issue. Um, but we talked and, and, you know, he's, he's always been a big, um, advocate for changing the way the media looks at hackers and, and the whole hoodie aspect. 
And so I, at first I felt kind of bad because I, I kind of instigate that, that, that attitude of that look, I guess, but I I've been so comfortable in a hoodie since I was like, I think there's a picture of me at three years old with a hoodie on. Um, so it's something I, I've always lived in, but so, so here's the deal. I, I, t- I totally agree with, with the way that, that the media portrays um, hackers is probably not the best. And I think that a, a movie or a TV show that went a little bit too far, I think in the negative connotation of the word hacker, um, which they also did a fantastic technical job was Mr. Robot. Um, I think they portrayed him horribly as an individual uh, and as a hacker. Um, you know, of course the hoodie, then they tacked on the drug use and the mental issues. And it's like, can, can they make him look any worse than he already does? You know? Um, so, you know, but they did do a service industry by actually having like real hacks. And we've done a couple of the hacks here on the, on the podcast live to show people that, you know, it, do, it does work. It's, it's legit. Uh, they did a really good job there. Um, but for most people in the industry and people coming in, I always tell them, look, you know, yeah, the, the media does do a bad job at defining what a hacker is. And if you look in Webster's dictionary, it, it, it's, it's a mix, right? So you have one entry that says that, you know, they do bad things and, and compromise systems. But on the other one, on the other entry, it talks about innovation and develop, developing ideas, uh, which, which are both very accurate. Um, but I do think we need a, a better, a better image, but I want people to be who they are. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me. Like we were around probably way before the industry actually existed. Um, when, when I got into the industry, there was no such thing as like ethical hacking. Um, so to, you know, to throw away the hoodie and, and give that up forever, I don't think I could do it. Um, so other than that, what do you think about the media's coverage since we're on the media? What do you think about the media's coverage of solar winds and, and, how much of it do you think they've actually disclosed and how much of it do you think they're actually probably not able to disclose or not willing to disclose at this point? I think with, with that particular incident and probably many others, they usually blow it out of proportion a little bit, make it a little bit more of a, a Hollywood style. Let's make some money. Let's make this a big sort of scare tactic. Cause that's normally the style they go. Mm-hmm. I think they probably most of what they're saying is, probably all they know they probably don't know a lot of the details um which isn't surprising and they they probably make up some stuff as well but we won't get into that um but yeah i I think that's kind of standard they they like to sell the big event the big incident the big problem um and don't really look at the what the real incident is because probably the real incident is probably not as exciting as they're making it out anyway um it's probably a really bad um breach and it's probably a bad incident um i think there's failures probably from a lot of people that have caused it but um but i think they need to no system is secure these days i think they just got to live with the fact that it's everything's unsecure and we're just here to make it as good as we can make it as secure as we can but yeah the i think the it's all about the airtime for them they they're just selling the story making it uh, as entertaining as possible and and the general public love it they, they love to hear it and they they eat it up when they do sell it. So yeah, it's just the way it is. That's, that's another thing the media does a really bad job at is actually explaining things on a technical level and dumbing it down. So people understand. Um, I think with solar winds, a lot of the impact was lost because the normal citizen, everyday citizen probably didn't grasp 95% of what was being said. Um, but, and also with the government, you know, we're not going to know 
all the government systems it hit or to the impact. But doing DOD testing, government testing, like pen testing, red teaming, what I found out is that it's hard to glamorize some of the compromises that, that the U.S. in specific goes through because how glamorous is it when someone has like using a default password on a government system? You know, it's really hard to make that look, you know, media worthy and, and movie worthy, but it's truth. I mean, it, that's, you know, it's not hard for, for these big attacks to take place. All it takes is, you know, one decent vulnerability that nobody patches for, um, you know, and tell me why a government is using open source patching, uh, you know, downloading open source code into, you know, systems like that. Seems like a know. bad idea, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Straight up. <laughs> It just common sense. Um, but again, like, you know, if they, if people did the basic things correctly, um, they wouldn't have to worry about any kind of massive breaches or, or stuff like that. Yeah. It's always going to be a possibility um, and it's going to happen. It's not if it's when, but when you have vulnerabilities that are five to 10 years old sitting on your network, and you're not patching for it. You know, I, I have little sympathy for, for anybody in that situation, but you know, and the funny thing too, is that, everybody's first reaction is let's yank all of our architecture, get that shit out and build it again. And it's like, you're going to build just as bad a network as you did before. So why not just fix what you have first? So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little jaded when it comes to patching and, and, and IT management and asset management, because as a pen tester over you know 20 years, I've seen some really bad ideas and bad design. Um, I kind of agree with you on that, like, uh, particularly with the, like your pen testing and your, your scanning and that sort of stuff, you, you do a pen test and you come back 12 months later and the same problems are still sitting there and they haven't patched, they haven't updated, they haven't secured anything different. And you just sit there and go, why are we doing this? And you're just ticking the box. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's wasting exactly everyone's time. And, and I'm a positive guy. I, I try and say, let's do everything constructive. But when they do that, you just sit there and go, okay, that's just silly. Just don't bother ticking the box at all. It's, it's a waste of time. You're not doing anything. You're not improving. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. I have a lot of envy for people who, and a lot of respect for people who do architectural design and consulting because walking to some of these companies, hearing some of the things that I hear when it comes to talking about technology or architecture, like I just want to get a sock and put a bar of soap in it and swing it at people when they start talking. Cause it's like, do you realize what you're doing? You know, when I look at your network and I find 500 WannaCry vulnerabilities sitting on your internal network, but it's okay because it's internal. I, I want to have a sock in each hand with soap in it, you know, and going out to a, <laughs> going out to a site and doing that for a living and, 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 and giving people advice on how to architect us, you know, a safer network, a safer environment, you know, it, Again, you're going to deal with ROI. You're going to deal with the price tags. You're going to deal with the whole program, you know, budget. And that's, that's the part that I think hurts our industry. As I, th- I think people really do want to secure things. But I think that numbers and return on investment gets in the way. And it always has. So if you look at security in a traditional historic way, um, a lot of companies didn't want to dump money into security groups from the get-go because they saw no return on investment. So, you know, they, I think companies are getting a little bit better at looking at that and saying, okay, there's no return on investment, but if we have a breach, how much are we going to save in, in recovery and, and disaster recovery? Um, so, yeah, so I'd be, I'd be interested to see what kind of crazy stories you have from going in and doing consulting in companies and, and looking at 
what they want you to build out or what, you know, getting advice for you on what to put into the network and what you've seen in their current state. I bet you've got some killer stories. I've probably got a few, not all of them I can talk about, but I've got, I definitely got a few. And I, and the, the thing is like what you're saying before is that it's pretty common. You see it a lot where they, they come in and oh, it's in an inside eye, our wall, you know, nothing's getting here. We don't need to protect this stuff. And I'm like, yes, you do. Like <laughs> the wall is just the edge. And in systems these days, it, there is no real wall. There is no real boundary. It's people are everywhere. There's too many different devices that they're in too many different locations. They they've got to stop looking at that outside. Let's make the wall nice and hard and do nothing inside it. Yeah. They, they, they need to break that whole perception of things, but yeah, you, you get it all the time. It's like, Oh, we just spend all this money. We'll get this nice tech on the outside. But the funny thing about that nice tech is a lot of the time they get it, spend all this money and then don't really set it up anyway. So it's, <laughs> it's got the very basic configurations and they're, they're not doing what they could with those devices or those expensive units that they were designed for. Yes. I still don't think any of them are silver bullets, but if they paid for it, make it work how it's supposed to. Exactly. Yeah. And- I always wonder that, like if you're putting all that money in, you know, cause it's, it's in like the hundreds and thousands I've heard some companies spend, um, to get these fancy solutions put in and then you don't get a dedicated person to, to configure it. So it's like, what's the point? I, I don't understand sense. that. Yeah. I don't understand that. I, I, I want to find out why, but everyone I talk to is, is, you know, also surprised. It's about that whole, I think it is that they, they bought the solution and to their board and everything else, they've got this big fancy thing and they, they tick that little box saying, yep, we have that now and we're all protected. But like you said, they don't have a person inside that actually knows how to use it, knows how to work it or, or even bring in somebody outside that can actually, you know, help them configure it and help them learn how to use it as best as possible. It's just, yeah, it's a big expensive brick sitting over there that doesn't do a lot. As a pin tester, do you find it challenging um, when you're doing an engagement at a company to kind of like talk to their IT team? Because I, I know in some cases, like for us, um, you know, some IT teams are really great to work with, you know, like they, they kind of see us as a team. And then we come across some that, that, you know, just hate us. They're like, oh gosh, you know, you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong about my job. So kind of tell me about, you know, your experience with that relationship with, you know, pin testing and, and an IT uh, team. I think you're right. Like I, I've probably almost a 50-50 split where you, right. you you sit there and you go like, let's do this. You know, we start to talk to them and start to figure out what, what the engagement is and everything. And you've got on one hand, there's some that will work with you and try and do everything and try and help you get the most out of the whole situation. And then you get the other ones that just like you're the enemy. You're, they're you're on the defensive, right. They're always on yeah, the defensive. Straight and, up and, yeah. And, and, and like, the ego's in the way yeah. and you're just like, dude, I'm just trying to help. I think egos is probably the biggest issue with a lot of them. They, they don't see you as someone that's trying to help. And, and I always right. approach that at, to try and do that direction is I'm not here to, you know, pull the rug out from underneath you and make you look bad. I, I want you to get more secure. I want to help you do it. And I will do it as softly as they want me to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it's nice and smooth for them and they don't look bad. I, I'm not there to make anyone look bad. I, I, I want to help them. And yeah. that's the hard part is getting those ones with the ego and they, they, they just, hands off straight away and go, no, I'm not, I'm not helping you. I, you know, you're the enemy here. I think yeah, we need to try and get those sort of people out of that road, I think, and, and bring in the people that are willing to help you solve the solutions. And cause that's what we're there for. Like that they're, they're not testing just, well, some are just testing for the tick box, but most of them actually want to make their system secure. Like Mike said before, like people really want to do that. And if we're there, we're helping, we're, 
we're finding things and yes sometimes it's human mistakes and sometimes yeah it's a oh crap i did that put your hand up own it you know yeah right it's all about the education the lesson and let's just fix them we're going to get nowhere and we're all going to be talking the same stuff again in 12 months if it if, if they don't work with us really Exactly. And the, and the culture hasn't changed much since the beginning, the inception of like vulnerability assessments and stuff like that, because, you know, Frenchie just sent me a message and, and it's true because I, I, I say this pretty much on every podcast is nobody wants a pen tester to come to their company and tell them <laughs> their baby's ugly. Like go into maternity ward and tell a mother her baby's ugly and tell me what happens afterwards. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be sounds good. dangerous. <laughs> so you get the same thing with, with security. You know, these people spend you know, some, in some places, millions of dollars building these networks. And the last thing they want is someone to come in and say, yeah, you're going to have to spend X amount more because you're vulnerable. You know, your baby's unfortunately ugly. Um, and it happens all the time. But and I've even had companies that try to get me to manipulate the findings so that it wouldn't yeah, be yeah. a finding. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but an admin password and clear text to every server on your network at a hospital is a vulnerability. Like, I can't take that out. Um, but people like that want to fight it because again, they're, they're looking at facing funding issues or if they get a bad, you know, report or brief, uh, from a pen test, vulnerability assessment, the board looks at it and, you know, it's all metric driven, which is so sad. And that goes back to treating people like people is when you have a company that's metric uh, driven and you know, it's metric driven and you hire into this company, walking in, knowing that your bonus and your value is based on a metric, that's a problem. Like, you know, it should be work as a team and your value as an individual, not as somebody who doesn't input on a spreadsheet. Um, But I think that's one of the things, too, that once we battle that and change that aspect of the industry, I think security in general will increase because people feel valuable again. Because right now, you know, if you if you look at the industry as a whole, especially during the pandemic, how many things that we do is starting to be automated or um, remotely controlled, right? So a lot of the pen testing, a lot of the vulnerability assessment um, can now be automated and timed. Um, And when you look at like actual producing, you know, exploit code or being that pen tester and you have to be that, that human behind the console, that value is still not there because really what they want is the paperwork, the, the report that comes out of that tool. That's the most important. Uh, and maybe one person per company that can talk to a C-level, which is getting harder and harder to do. Um, now that we're opening up the ranks to the industry for you know, anybody with a CEH. Um, but yeah, I think that once people start gaining that passion back and actually start, you know, we start treating people like people, then we're going to get better security and, and you know, it, it'll be a lot quicker. Um, yeah, well, I think we still have a ways to go, I, and, but I like the, the optimism, um, that Craig has. I, I wish I could buy some of that at Walmart because it would probably help me in my interactions day to day. Um, but that's, that's my goal for this year is, is being more optimistic rather than pessimistic and cynical when it comes to what I know to be true for the industry. Um, and that's the hardest part, you know, you always want things to get better but it's difficult sometimes when you look at some of these organizations that refuse to change. Um, but, and, and that's where we come in and that's why I like bringing people on the show is uh, these are people that are going to be leaders in that space and that are leaders and can have the ability to influence and change that, that direction. Um, 
So that's really important to me, especially like you guys down in Australia. Like, I don't know what it is, but most of our viewers are in Australia. Um, maybe it's the criminal, that criminal streak in Australia. I'm not really sure. Um, that's kind of what's been pointed out previously. But who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Um, anyway, so do you have any questions for us, Craig? Is there anything that you want to know about as far as our community or, or what we're doing here or any of that stuff? We're open for questions as well. No, not really. Like I, I've been sort of watching you guys a little bit before you sort of invited me to come on. I, I like the idea of sort of sharing the information and making it an open community. I think we've, the industry itself has been sort of cloaked for too long. I think we, we need to sort of come out there a little bit more and we need to talk about things more and show who we are. And I think that's, uh, I, I love that about the, the whole community you've got going. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, no questions, but I think he's doing a good job and yeah, I reckon it's great. Keep it up. Awesome. We appreciate it. And you're welcome back anytime you want, um, whether it's into the discord server or, you know, you just want to be an extra voice on, on the podcast. Anytime you're on, I'll co-host you and you can jump right in. Sounds good. Um, so anybody have any questions for Craig, go ahead and send it through the chat. The chat will come directly to me uh, and I'll ask the questions of Craig. So if you have any fire away. Craig, when does, uh, when does your new book come out? Foresight. I've um, was putting the, the finishing touches on my last edit this morning when I was, I was waiting to come on. So I'm, I'm thinking around sort of mid to end of next month, if uh, everything goes to plan. So the cover and everything's all done. The writing's all done. It's just, yeah, some final model sort of little tweaks and little twitches here. So yeah, I think, yeah, within a month, definitely, which uh, awesome. it's called foresight should be hopefully good. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So how awesome. much in, in a, in a ballpark way, how much is it costing to to get one of those books published? I'm I'm really curious to you know for my own personal reasons. Yep, with the um, the sort of indie publishing sort of style of things, the the most expensive part, um, apart from time and labour, mm. is probably your cover work. Um, and if you want to pay someone to do the editing, um, I have a bit a few people that I I send it to, and they do a few. To, bit of a read through and a bit of a tidy up so I don't use an official editor um they just give me feedback and tell me what they think and you know point out my spelling and grammar mistakes which strangely as a writer I I do a bit but um but yeah it's probably the most expensive part is the cover work um getting someone to design a cover and make something pretty because I have no skills when it comes to that um I I can write but I, I definitely don't have any artistic side on that stuff so um but yeah it's you're looking couple of thousand you can do a lot of that sort of stuff um and you're looking probably another sort of same if you want to pay an editor to do the editing for you um but if you do it yourself it's it's more time and it probably takes me almost 12 months a book to get through sort of in my own time so we're looking probably five to ten hours a week working on the book um so it is a bit of a a time hungry thing but uh yeah, it, if it's a passion, you, you just go with it, I suppose. Yeah, that's what's pretty your, cool. Um, what's your process for, for writing the book? Do you kind of like do a general outline and then you go in and fill the details and then you've got like a cast of characters? Uh, and do you have any characters that you kill off in, in this book? <laughs> I don't kill anyone off. I, I think I, I probably could. Um, <laughs> but with the fantasy one, I did do a bit of a, a general rundown. Like I, I, I mapped out sort of, most of the chapters and put a rough idea of what I wanted to sort of 
achieve in each of those and and put some main characters and sort of decided on the names and who I was going to bring in and who I wasn't and I generally followed that but I, I, I still went on the whole went with my gut as I was writing each chapter and sort of just went with the storyline and I deviated a little bit and then sort of come back a little bit a few times but uh, yeah I think that's just part of the writing process you just got to go with what you feel and then clean it up later it, you can always clean it up later if you, you go a bit too crazy but uh, yeah that was yeah general plan and then yeah just just went with it went chapter by chapter and just pushed through it but with my um the, the awareness type ones there's no real plan I just will pick the topics I want to write about and just write one at a time and just have some fun when I'm writing each and yeah decide which ones I keep in there and which ones I don't there was a few that I I dropped out I didn't keep in the books but uh, yeah most of them are in there it's pretty nice. cool. You should have like a, uh, I don't know if you remember the books from back in the day, the, the choose your own adventure books. Do you remember those? I like those. Yeah. I like yeah, those, yeah. Like that, that would actually be kind of a cool idea for a cybersecurity book. You know, you, you give them, you know, multiple choices and each choice deviates the way the story is played out. It'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah. We, we know a pretty good uh, illustrator as well. Um, she's pretty, she's pretty badass with graphics. So the one we're done with the nice logos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tramy did all of them. She did all the logos for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, remember that. Yeah, let me know what I can do to help. <laughs> yeah, I, I like design and I really love doing design work for cybersecurity because it's, you know, it's like all these like cool tech graphics and lightings that I don't typically get to do uh, in the corporate world where it's, you know, just boring. Um, so yeah, I, get to be a bit crazy. It's, it's yep. more fun. Yeah, be a little bit crazy. Um, like I, I don't ever get to do a logo like the haunted hacker logo and with this kind of brand and theme, you know, where it's a, it's a little dark and kind of like, you know, like matrix glitchy kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, I would definitely love to help with any book covers. Um, if you've got any, uh, I won't charge you a grand. I just do it for funsies. Okay. Sounds great to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't have any other questions. Um, last call for questions in the chat yeah i, I do have one last question for craig um and it has to do with uh with um sharing threat intelligence so i heard in one of your podcasts that you mentioned that one of the things that you recommend is that you know seeing more organizations sharing threat intelligence with each other because right now um you know they're they're very protective of that information right so you know you don't want to necessarily share threat intelligence with a competitor, but what do you think about, you know, just having industries that are complementary to each other, not competing, you know, sharing information, you know, like, like a bank and a, a tech company, for instance. I think, I think that's a good idea. And, and, and I've sort of part of a, um, they call it PISN, um, which is just a group um, in sort of Brisbane, Australia here that we sort of just try and sort of get together every what sort of once every few months and share some what we're doing and what we're not what's not working and what's working and I think you're right like I think if they can at least get that same sort of industries together and you know no one's going to share everything there's certain stuff that they're going to keep to themselves but I think if we can all help each other a little bit and at least share those what isn't working what is working um, get some ideas from other people I think it's going to be easier for everybody and we're all you know overworked as it is and I think you know anything that can make our lives a little bit easier, I think is a good idea. I think we're going to sort of be like pulling teeth almost. It's going to be hard to get anyone to really do it, particularly when you're, you're talking about like your managed service providers and your security providers like that. Yeah. Getting them to share that kind of stuff is 
difficult. Very um, difficult. To say the least. <laughs> um, but I think we can do it. I think if we drop the egos a little bit and mm-hmm. share what we can, like, yes, like I said, you know, we can't share everything. I would love for people yeah. to drop egos in, in the tech world, but There's like, so many, isn't there? <laughs> but, but how do you change someone's behavior? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know if that's something that we can necessarily change because that's something that that person needs self-awareness so that they can change themselves. Right. Punishment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been very fortunate. I've met a lot of really nice, kind, and, and passionate people in the industry, but um, I've also come across people with egos. And I, you know, I don't know if it's COVID and I'm not going to the office and seeing people and we're doing podcasting, but it's like, I almost don't know how to react or respond when I see someone like with an ego. Like my natural reaction is just, I just shut down, you know? So yeah, I... I really those people with egos out there, please work on it. Yeah, that's that's I think I have to. Yeah. And I think that's part that's been around IT for a really, really long time. Um, I remember working for inter- internet service provider. We had some of the admins that had been there from the inception of the of the company. And uh the ego, wow. It's like you, you almost have to ask permission to walk into their their space, you know, it's like the value they put on these people was ridiculous. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with an industry that, you know, is very infantile, it's very new, um, people with that level of knowledge were, you know, gold mines, hard to find. Um, but yeah, uh, Luke said, send the people with egos to work in tech support. I agree. Completely agree with that. Humble, humble them out. Yeah. yeah. They will hate that, but good option. <laughs> Punishment. So that's, uh, you know, that one last point I want to make too, is that that article, I read an article that you wrote on CSO magazine about five eyes. I thought that was really interesting and insightful. Um, you know, in, in a couple, I got a few raised eyebrows from that, from a few places I consult with, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, if you want to give just a brief synopsis of, of what you were talking about in the article to the people who haven't read it. Um, it was really interesting. I found it really interesting. I read it. And I uh, had to sit back and think for a few minutes because I've worked for some of those five eyes and the amount of distrust they have just within their own little group is ridiculous. So why don't you go ahead and give a brief synopsis of that and uh, we'll do a last call for questions and that'll be it. Um, from what I remember, it was a little while ago I wrote it, but um, the general gist of it, I believe, was um, around the particularly the new Australian law that was being brought in at the time about... Um, I suppose you would say the perception was that the government wanted the back door into mm-hmm. the systems. I, I don't think that's technically what they were really after. Um, they just wanted a way to be able to legally request information from any of those providers to have that intel or information or from whatever their, their target was, whoever it was. And mm-hmm. I think that whole concept um, is probably wrong. I don't think they they should have went down that path of, you know, kind of requesting a backdoor from these providers, the the applications and stuff like that. They, like, I, I get there's the whole need for some of the, you know, your terrorism and that sort of stuff to get that kind of information in an easier way, but I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think they need to do it a better way. Um, whether that's powers to, you know, get the information from the the, the person itself, the one that's under arrest or something like that. It, I, I think that's still a better way, even though they can't always make them do it. But I think 
that sort of powers is still better than trying to force providers to give them information into their systems. It's just making them put that backdoor in or something to enable that. Mm. And um, I, I agree completely with some of those providers where they're just refusing, which mm. I think that's a good thing. I think they need to still stick to their, their customers. I think, yes, platforms get abused for different reasons, but um, that's no reason to make everybody insecure and lose everyone's sort of right to do it without uh, any sort of threat of being sort of watched or something like that. So, Yeah. And that's, that's been kind of, so when I worked for Verizon, a lot of the U S providers are required by federal law to have taps into their systems so that the FBI or department of justice can have you know easy access once they obtain uh, a warrant. Um, but what I found is that those taps were, not necessarily being used the way they were supposed to be used. Um, And I think that all goes back to, uh, you know, when Snowden leaked the information he did about X key score uh, is supposed to be based on, you know, certain keywords or certain factors, but we all know that, you know, given access, someone's going to take advantage of that access, whether it be the people who are supposed to be running a program or people who take advantage of the fact that that program exists, right? Um, so yeah, I, I'm not a big uh, advocate for putting eternal taps, you know, in, in people's and providers' networks. Yeah, you know, and that, that's another thing I talked about previously was security of the provider, right? So internet service providers provide a connection, um, but they don't provide any protection whatsoever. Um, which they they'll tell you that they, they don't do that. Um, but they also provide on ramps to online gaming to all kinds of things that could be used for, you know, violation of any kind of law or even, you know, anti-terrorism acts. Right. So you would think that internet service providers would be required to provide some sort of security. Um, and I think if they would step up and actually start looking into that and embracing some of that, maybe the need for an eternal tap in some of these ISPs wouldn't be needed. Um, but even in the U S like the InfraGuard FBI works with uh, crit- only critical infrastructure companies. Um, and they, they share intelligence and they share bulletins. I was part of the InfraGuard for quite a while. Um, but the problem was, is that the Intel was not actionable. I didn't find the, the data the FBI was giving back to the industry as being actionable. Um, they, sometimes they would have ransomware with, you know, they give us a hash, um, to identify the file, but it'd be like 10 weeks post deployment, you know, like the hash has already changed by then. Um, but they were really, you know, adamant about getting Intel from the different industries. So that, that's the problem that, you know, reading that CSO online, um, article, uh, made me think about our current structure in the U S and I think the, the biggest problem we have is, you know, intelligence feeds and intelligence in general is a commodity, right? It's something that we're going to pay for. Um, But a company who doesn't have an Intel feed, but has, you know, defensive measures and and platforms in place to help stop what could possibly be going on, they should probably take all that equipment out and sell it if they're not going to have a threat feed. Uh, Because to me, you know, security in a network without a threat feed is pretty much useless. Um, you have to have an idea as to what's going on outside. Uh, so hopefully one of these days, you know, five eyes and, and the U S will be able to get, you know, that, that 
information flow down to where it's not unidirectional, it's bi-directional. And I think that's the biggest problem with industries. Industry doesn't want to give intel to government because they know they're not getting anything in return. Um, so, you know, it's one of those battles I think we'll be fighting for a while. Um, but then you also have to take consideration that, you know, governments aren't very uh, high on the fact of encryption either. So another battle that we constantly fight and try to maintain. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, really appreciate you coming on, Craig. It was awesome. I look forward to, uh, you know, your next book coming out. And I might ping you later on with uh, some tips and pointers because eventually I, I think I'm going to go down that route. Um, kudos and congratulations for, for taking that dive and, and being successful and, and having books out there that are, that are making some good money. That's awesome. And it's really cool that you get back to the industry like that. Um, again, welcome anytime. Um, another great interview. Uh, Trammy, any questions? If not, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah, no, we're good. Thank you so much for your time, Craig. And I'm really excited for your book, um, for, uh, for Right. Foresight, right? yes. Foresight, Foresight, yeah. I'm super excited to read it because I've, um, again, I, I've never read any any cybersecurity book that isn't, you know, a, a nonfiction, so. It's going to be awesome. No worries. It's, it's definitely um, been fun. I've enjoyed the chat and, yeah, definitely be back at some point. Cool. Thanks, Craig. Have a good one. No worries. Talk Have to you guys next one. week. Thanks, everyone. Nice. Bye. Bye.